The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Today's episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer is sponsored in part by Celgene, Lilly Oncology, and Onyx. When a cancer diagnosis strikes, it can impact every area of your life, your personal life, your family life, and even your work life. Balancing a career with cancer can be one of the most complex challenges of the cancer journey with issues ranging from disclosure, uh, taking time off, legal issues, financial issues, some pretty complex stuff. So joining us today... To help us navigate these challenges, we have uh, Rebecca Nellis and Monica Bryant. Rebecca Nellis is the Vice President of Programs and Strategy for Cancer and Careers, a nonprofit organization empowering and educating people impacted by cancer to thrive in the workplace. Cancer and Careers provides expert advice, interactive tools, uh, and educational events. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Also joining us today is Monica Bryant, Chief Operating Officer of Triage Cancer, a nonprofit organization that provides education and resources on the entire continuum of cancer survivorship uh, issues to survivors, caregivers, healthcare professionals. Monica is a cancer rights attorney, a speaker, an author, and is dedicated to improving access to and availability of quality information on healthcare related issues. Thanks for being here, Monica. Thanks for having me. So let's get started. We have a lot to cover today, ladies. So let's uh, let's jump in and, and uh, we'll start with some of the basics and, and um, we'll see what we can learn today. Uh, Rebecca, I'm going to start with you. Um, being employed and having cancer is, is, is uh, really a complicated uh, issue. So I want to start from the basics, start from the beginning. Um, what, as it relates to your employment, to your job, what's the first thing you should do uh, when you're diagnosed with cancer? Do you share that news right away? Who do you share it with? You know, what... What are you required to do and what can you choose to do? It's a great question and, um, and a complicated one, as you pointed out. So, you know, there's the ideal scenario, which is that, well, the ideal scenario, of course, is that you don't get diagnosed with cancer. But absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> the ideal scenario would be that you get the news when you are not in the workplace and you have enough time to 
information gather and take a step back. So I'm going to speak about it as though it's ideal, but of course we hear stories every day of people who get their diagnosis while they're sitting at their desk and certainly making decisions around sharing that information and with who and when are changed significantly by virtue of having that first conversation happen at work. But in a more equitable and, and, and um, ideal universe, you, you get this information and you have time to really take a step back and, and get some information from a few sort of key sources in the work cancer dilemma. Um, so one is the healthcare team that you're working with, and that's not just a single person, but everyone who's going to play a role in your treatment and recovery process and in making decisions about protocol and scheduling and discussing what are the likely side effects and things like that through a work lens so that you're articulating to that core team that their job is to make you better, but they also, if they don't know that you want to work or you need to work or work is really important to you, they can't factor that in. So that's a really important place to start gathering content to make a good decision about how to deal with the workplace is to get a good sense from them of what's realistic at least in terms of what they know at this point in time. And then the second place you want to look is if you are currently working at what your current employer offers. So it could be, and I'm stealing Monica's line here, dusting mm -hmm. off that um, handbook that you get when you first get hired and going through it to see what's already in place because Certainly, employers of a certain size have a lot of this content already prepared because they've had enough employees over time to have been faced with some sort of complex uh, issue for their employees. So you want to see if there are already things like a medical leave process or the ability to telecommute or donated vacation time kind of already in existence in this space. And even if they aren't there, it doesn't mean that those aren't things that could be asked for down the road. But you just sort of want to do some fact-finding about your workplace and kind of pull together what you do know so that when you go in to have a conversation, you're starting from the same place they are. And then the third bucket, and this is certainly one of the key reasons that Monica is on the call, is you want to understand what the law says. And not yes. because we're a litigious universe, but because the law can be a tool in your arsenal. So it's really those three areas that in an ideal scenario, someone who's newly diagnosed would be able to take a minute to pull that information together so that they mm -hmm. can then come up with a path forward at work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so, so Monica, to, to, uh, to add into that and just to, to clarify, is there information that you recommend, you know, disclosing as someone required to disclose their diagnosis? Um, uh, at work, and, and so if you choose to disclose, should you give all of the details about what kind of cancer you have and what the impact will be, or just kind of keep the information minimal, uh, a little more guidance maybe for our listeners? So, like many of the answers that I think Rebecca and I are going to end up giving today, it's, it's a little bit complicated, and it's going to depend yeah. very much on people's individual situations. Yeah. But across the board, what's really important for people to realize is that legally, they're not required to disclose their cancer diagnosis to an employer. Mm -hmm. So that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a piece of information that many people are surprised to hear. Yes. That being said, folks may have to disclose some information about their medical condition if they're hoping to use certain protections and benefits of the laws. So, for example, if somebody's trying to take medical leave, they may be required to disclose that they're dealing with a serious medical condition. And so this might be an important distinction for some people who may want to keep the details of their cancer journey separate from their work lives. 
um, but again, still want to benefit from the protections of the law. And it's a really personal decision. It's going to depend on so many factors. But I think the really vital thing to stress here is that people should think through it carefully, because once the cat's out of the bag, there's no going back. Right, right, right. And so you may be in a position, Monica, where you sort of, you, you, you have to disclose certain information if you want to, let's say, trigger certain programs or certain rights that may be available to you under the law, that may be a point where you have to disclose, but you could, let's say, for example, only disclose to your supervisor, maybe choose not to disclose to your coworkers or things like that. That's exactly right. And then the details of what you're disclosing. So maybe you don't need to disclose the exact specific type of cancer or the treatment that you're getting, maybe you just need to disclose that you're going through a serious medical condition and you're suffering from severe fatigue. And so, mm-hmm. again, it's it's really, you know, the devil's in the details here. Um, and this is another place like that Rebecca alluded to where it's so critical to work with your healthcare team because many times they can help you come up with Um, ways to talk to your employer and things to say to your employer that, again, may keep the things that you want to keep private private, but disclose enough information so that you can access those benefits. So it sounds like part of what's really important here, Monica, is a very clear communication with you and your supervisor really about what it is that you want. Um, It seems like that's that's kind of critical, Monica, to make sure that you're, you're crystal clear with your supervisor, this is what I want to disclose, this is how I want to communicate with my coworkers, et cetera, to make sure you guys are in agreement on that. Absolutely. Communication is key across the board for everything that we're going to talk about, so whether that be communication with your workplace or communication with your healthcare providers. Um, yeah. And sometimes it might be that you're not talking to your supervisor. In mm-hmm. some workplaces, you might feel more comfortable going directly to HR and just having mm-hmm. the conversation with HR. And by law, employers are required to keep this information confidential. It may be necessary to tell somebody like your supervisor, and we're going to talk, I think, a little bit later about yeah. some reasons why that's important, um, but it's not something that can be talked about openly in a staff meeting, let's say, or sent out right. you know, company-wide on the email distribution list. Right. That really, right. even if you disclose some information, that information is still supposed to be kept confidential. Right. Rebecca, we've got about two or three minutes till our first break here, but I, um, you know, I imagine that the online space and the social media space has created some new considerations when it comes to disclosure. Um, you know, people are sharing a lot of information about their lives uh, online, and I know sometimes they're, you know, friending people in the workplace and things like that. What are, what are some specific considerations when it comes to the online community and anything that folks dealing with cancer should be thinking about when it comes to that? It's a great question, and it's become a huge area of conversation and discussion for all the reasons that you mentioned. So I think for us, what's important about thinking through the online space is that it can absolutely provide some incredible sources of support and and laughter and, a, and an outlet and all sorts of really valuable, um, positive things, but it is also a very public space, and I think... Sometimes we forget that because we're sitting in front of our computer alone in a room, how, how loud 
online really is. And so for people who are not planning to disclose at work at all or not planning to disclose widely at work, it's a particularly important area to think about because once you've set it online, it's, it's public and could be found out about you. Um, and similarly, it might not be this job, but what about down the road when you're looking for a new job and a prospective employer Googles you and they find out about your cancer history? Are you going to be okay with that? Is that something you want to have be part of your footprint permanently um, outside of your closer sphere of family and friends? And so it's really important to, to think about what you're saying now because it has both a short-term value and a long-term impact. Um, and so what we encourage people to do is certainly be authentic to themselves and pick and choose where they're sharing information based on what they're comfortable with and, and who they think they might be sort of going forward, which is not a perfect system because none of us imagined that Twitter was going to exist at all, right? And now we can't imagine living without it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I just, you know, I think the way that folks are sharing and sometimes really oversharing, Rebecca, um, online, I've, I think this is such an important uh, area for us to to uh, to emphasize for our listeners. And so essentially, once they put that information, uh, you know, out there into their sort of social media world, it becomes essentially in the public domain. And um, anybody who sees it has essentially the right to... to to know that information, and, and that's that? Is that correct? I mean, basically that's the case because it's, it was put out yeah. there and the online space is public now. And one of the tricky areas, and I don't know how much time we have left, is certainly that Facebook, for instance, has privacy mm-hmm. settings, but they aren't mm-hmm. designed to be ironclad. Right. So you, you feel safer than maybe you are. Right. Um, and you feel like you've invited people in, and you have, but it could go, it could bounce beyond where you thought it was going to go. So our rule of thumb is if you wouldn't want it on the cover of your local newspaper, you probably <laughs> don't want to say it on Facebook. Yeah, that's probably a good uh, a good guideline, whether it relates to cancer or anything else in your life, truthfully. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking today about balancing uh, employment with a uh, with a cancer diagnosis and getting some great tips and advice from two experts in the field, Rebecca Nellis and uh, Monica Bryant. We have a lot that we want to talk about as it relates to your rights and protections uh, as an employee. And, uh, you know, I think, ladies, I also want to, uh, after the break, uh, we'll also want to take a few minutes to get into the, you know, if you're an employer listening today and you want to understand what your position or, or rights are as an employer, we can get into that for a few minutes as well. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. 
That's CancerSupportCommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This episode is being brought to you in part today by Azi, Genentech, and Amgen. We're here today with Rebecca Nellis of Cancer and Careers and Monica Bryant of Triage Cancer. Before our break, we were talking about the initial challenge of when to tell your employer about your diagnosis and and, and what to tell and how much to reveal and really what to uh, expect from that. Now I want to dive a little bit deeper um, with our guests. Monica, um, most of us have heard, or many of us, our listeners, and have heard of the um, Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, what is this act? Does it cover people with cancer? And if yes, how so? Yeah, so the Americans with Disabilities Act, or otherwise known as the ADA, is a federal law that applies to people who um, work for employers with 15 or more employees or state or local governments, individuals who are qualified for the jobs we're talking about, and then people who have a disability. And for the purposes of the ADA, a disability is defined as a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits a major life activity. And I realize that that's a mouthful, but if you break it down, it's a physical or mental impairment that's limiting something called a major life activity. So those are going to be things like walking, talking, breathing, operation of major bodily functions, And in the cancer context, it's actually oftentimes the side effects of treatment rather than the cancer itself Mm -hmm. that can create the existence of a disability. So think, for example, chemo brain or lymphedema. Mm -hmm. And if people meet all three of these criteria, so they work for a big enough employer, they're qualified for the job, and they meet the definition of a disability, they're protected against discrimination based on their disability. And so that's a really important thing to think about, that they're protected from discrimination. And then in addition to that, if somebody currently is suffering from a physical or mental impairment that's limiting these major life activities, they are also going to be entitled to something called a reasonable accommodation. And that's just a legal term for any change in the work environment or in the ways that things are customarily done 
that would allow that person with a disability to enjoy equal employment opportunities. So really, the ADA can be imperative for folks to know about if they're dealing with a cancer diagnosis because it can provide them with tons of benefits that can make their day-to-day life more bearable. So when you say, Monica, that um, this law is intended if you have uh, an illness or an you know impairment, it's intended to protect you from uh, from discrimination. And when you say that, are we talking about protecting you from being fired, protecting you from being demoted, protecting what kind of discrimination are we, are we talking about here? So all of the above, because the ADA actually applies to all phases of employment. So we're talking about job searching and hiring talking about promotions and benefits, and we're talking about firing. So every phase of employment is covered by the ADA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that that's important. Um, and we'll get into maybe some of the long-term ramifications there. But, Rebecca, let's let's jump into this, uh, this discussion about the, quote-unquote, reasonable um, accommodation, because I want to talk about some of the options, particularly when you're going through treatment in that intense period, you know, different types of jobs, will require different types of, um, of accommodation. So can you tell us what that really what that means, reasonable accommodation, and maybe give us some examples of different kinds of um, accommodation options that are uh, available to you um, that could be made while you're working? Or, 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 you know, and let's also get into what if you're in a situation where you just, you just can't work during treatment. Maybe you have the kind of job, it's a physical job, it's a labor job, it's too demanding, and you just can't work. So let's start with what does reasonable accommodation mean? What are some examples of that, Rebecca? Absolutely, and I think you hit on an important point, Kim, which is it's easiest to understand this in the context of some examples. So I think I'll jump right in there. Um, Because one of the keys to figuring out what might work better is sort of looking at all of the environmental elements that go into your workday, the commute that you have, the demands of your job. And so it's really kind of assessing all of that, and this is a place where we typically also encourage people to talk to their healthcare team about kind of how these side effects are going to continue to manifest so they can think as creatively as possible. So here are a couple of examples. Um, We worked with a woman who was a social worker and she um, wanted to work through treatment. It was really important to her emotional and psychological well-being. When she was at the office, she was nauseous all the time, Uh, but she wasn't that way during those same hours, but on the weekend when she was at home. So it was a little bit funny that she was so ill at work. And through a series of conversations, it became apparent that the problem was her office was next to the cafeteria mm-hmm. and it was making her nauseous on her mm-hmm. based on the treatment that she was undergoing. And so yeah. her accommodation was an office change. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it turned out to be a fairly small thing to do, a little inconvenient, sure, for an afternoon, but a small thing that made a huge difference in her ability to be at work. Um, another example um, of an accommodation for someone in, an, in a kind of job that, for instance, has scheduled breaks built in, um, could be additional break times. Like perhaps that person typically gets two breaks and a lunch, and really what they need is four to make it through the day. That could be an accommodation and a conversation. Or a, an example that both Monica and I give all the time because it, it really illustrates how this can work for any kind of job if you're thinking creatively. There is a woman uh, who's a cashier at a, at a grocery store, and standing and being dehydrated were two problems for her. Um, and typically, cashiers don't have a stool or a beverage at their checkout, 
but those mm-hmm. were accommodations made for her. Mm-hmm. So it's really, and again, there are many, many, many more, and really the point is to look at your own situation and what is being impacted specifically, like what's changed, what's harder, and try to figure out if it's schedule-related or if it's environmental, like it happens to be the location of the social worker's office, Uh or if it's about the fact that something is adding to an already existing problem like fatigue, so standing was difficult, Mm -hmm. and seeing if there's something that's relatively simple that would allow that person to continue to perform what was critical about their job duties. Now, Rebecca, what if you're in an instance where uh, you just can't you just can't work for a period of time? You have to be in the hospital. You have to have a, a bone marrow transplant. You are, um, you know, that that the the uh, the treatment is so intense, and you know, you've got a perhaps a labor job or a physical job, and you just can't. Let's say for the next three months, I just just can't work. But boy, when I'm done this, I really need to come back to work. Um, you know, what's that conversation, Rebecca? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that partially, and then I'm going to draw Monica in. But good, that good. touches on a, a couple of things. So this is where going back to your, you know, your benefits, whether it's in your employee manual or just the list of things you've now pulled together to work out whether or not you have access to disability leave through your job. Um, or And Monica can take this in a second. Or does you, are you in one of the states that offers disability leave on a short-term basis? Are you eligible for the Family and Medical Leave Act, which, again, I'll turn over to Monica. But yeah. so it becomes a much harder question, Kim, and that's really where the solutions get more challenging and, and often more emotionally frustrating to go mm-hmm. along with the already very difficult situation that someone's in because there comes a point where an employer still has to be able to run the business they're running and right. those right. needs don't always line up. And so it does become a patchwork at that stage. And for some people it means stepping away entirely and then having to figure out how to get back into the workforce afterwards, which Cancer and Careers also runs a lot of programs around specifically mm-hmm. because of this challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monica, so we've got three or four minutes until our next break here, but can you give us some, some context for this and some insight? Sure. So as Rebecca alluded to, there is a federal law called the Family and Medical Leave Act or the FMLA that entitles certain employees to 12 weeks of unpaid leave to take care of their own serious medical condition or to act as a caregiver. Um, So that might be a really beneficial law for folks to know about and to utilize if they are in a situation where they don't want to leave their jobs forever, but they know that for X amount of time they're going to need to be away from work. Um, Again, the law entitles folks to 12 weeks of leave. The leave is unpaid. So that can be a challenge, again, that Rebecca sort of alluded to. But it is health insurance protected and job protected. So that means that if an employer has been contributing to an employee's health insurance, they have to continue to do so while that employee is out on leave. Mm-hmm. It's also job protected, which means after those 12 weeks, once an employee comes back, they must be reinstated to the same or equivalent position that they were in when they left out on leave. So, in other words, you can't be demoted for taking this leave. So, FMLA can be a really critical thing um, and component to dealing with um, a situation where people are going to need to be out for um, sort of an extended period of time but want to come back to the same job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then just quickly, Monica, if um, uh, if... The, the person's inability to work lingers on, lingers on for an extended 
period of time. Is there a certain scenario where the employer is within his or her rights to actually terminate that person because they cannot fulfill their job responsibilities? Yes. So this actually goes back to the idea of being a qualified individual under Mm -hmm. the ADA. And sometimes job attendance can mean, you know, if you can't attend your job and do your job, you may not be qualified for the job we're talking about. So, so under the law, again, people are only entitled to 12 weeks of leave, but it's, this is a place where, as Rebecca alluded to earlier in the segment, that it's important to look at what your employer offers, because the law mm-hmm. is just the bare minimum of what employers have to provide, and many employers are much more generous than that bare minimum. Mm-hmm. So don't, I, I recommend to people to look at those job-specific benefits so that they don't end up mm-hmm. shipping themselves out of something that they may be entitled to. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think that's really good, you know, good advice. Start with the employer. Start with, like you said, that big fat handbook that we all get and have signed off on that we got. And, and uh, exactly. of course, nobody remembers all of those specifics. But I think that yeah. uh, that's really good advice to really dive back into that as a starting point. Because uh, yes, I've certainly seen scenarios where what an employer provides is more generous than um, uh, than perhaps what the the, the uh, law is requiring in terms of those uh, those minimum requirements by the law. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking today about balancing employment with a with a cancer diagnosis. I think that um, in some ways the good news is that people are people are living longer and better with cancer. That um, I think more and more uh, people are working through a cancer uh, diagnosis and working through treatment. And uh, I know some folks have certainly told us that that's really important for them. It's something that helps them keep some normalcy uh, through uh, cancer diagnosis and treatment. And, and uh, so to know that there, there are some laws here we want folks to be aware of, that they can request accommodations uh, uh, from their employer, that this open dialogue and really getting the information and facts is so important to understand your rights in all of this. So um, we are going to take just a quick break here. We have a lot more to talk about, so don't go away. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. 
Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and Purdue Pharma. I'm Kim Tebaldo, and we're talking about the issues surrounding employment and cancer with Rebecca Nellis and Monica Bryant. Um, uh, Rebecca, I want to go back to um, I want to go back to uh, uh, you know this starting point of you know I've just been diagnosed with cancer. I'm figuring all of these pieces out. Um, I am, let's say, a person who you know I want to tell my supervisor and I want to tell my coworkers. What's going on? Um, is there a right way to do that? I know that you know in some instances, uh, you know, coworkers obviously might be scared, might be concerned about your health. I think coworkers maybe naturally might uh, you know be in a mindset where okay, now I'm going to have to take on some more work, and I need to kind of manage my own schedule around that and pitch in a little bit. Um, any uh, uh, any advice on sort of the um, you know the workplace uh, dynamics of that, Rebecca? Absolutely. And all of that, I think, goes into thinking about how you um, share this information and also what your personal goals are around your own narrative. So some of it goes all the way back to thinking about sort of who are you generally at work? Are you someone who shares a lot? You come in after the weekend and kind of articulate a lot about your life and so do your teammates and so it's that kind of atmosphere or are you someone who is typically a little bit more private or reserved with the details and so though it's important and as you stated, you know, in this fictitious person's universe that they do want to share, but how might you go about that based on who you are? Because remaining authentic to yourself is important to having this feel as normal as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also want to think a little bit about what kind of work environment you're in. So have, is, it a, is it that close-knit, teamwork-oriented place or a bit more formal or corporate um, And have you worked there a long time or a short time? You know, these are kinds of factors that help to sort of shape thinking through how something's going to be received and how you might want to go about talking about it in the workplace. And then it's important to um, pick someone to start with that you feel, if you can, as comfortable with as possible because no matter how much planning and preparation, which we encourage a good deal of that in advance of going to the office, it's still a really, really hard conversation to have. And so to have it in the safest, most secure way first 
um, can just sort of take some of the, the edge off of that experience um, when you feel already comfortable with someone. And then I think your point about coworkers is particularly important. They both want to typically rally around and help, but also have their own sense of what is this going to mean for me and how does this change things. And not to be overlooked, everyone pretty much has an experience of their own around cancer. So was it good and did everything work out well or was it bad and so you assume the worst? You know, so you're also managing a whole host of thoughts that you couldn't possibly have known are existing in in your colleagues' minds. And so we encourage kind of focusing on the critical pieces related to work. So here's what I know today, but it's a fluid process, and I hope this can be an ongoing conversation. Here's what I recommend we do to make sure that everything that needs to get done gets done. Here's what my healthcare team has told me to expect that I think could impact my time at work, i.e., I'm going to be more tired than you're used to experiencing me, or apparently memory is going to start to be a challenge, so I'm going to be writing more things down, or I'm going to lose my hair, and I kind of want that to be on the table now so that you're prepared for it. So it gets a little bit more concrete as opposed to just this big cancer word without anything behind it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think those are some great tips and suggestions. And again, I, you know, it's, this is, I think it's a great conversation because we're, you know, obviously trying to understand the law and trying to understand employees' rights, but we also, you know, know that this is all, you know, the scenario is different for every person. And so it really happens on a case-by-case basis. So I think it's important to take both of those things um, into consideration. Monica, I want to get into the, um, some of the legal and practical implications, uh, uh, again, for, for just a few more minutes, drill down on a few things. So if a person decides to take time off without pay under the Family Medical and Leave Act, do they, do they not have health insurance during that time or do they continue to have health insurance during that time? How does that work? So it's going to depend on the situation. If an employer has, has contributed some or all of the employee's premium, by law, they're required to continue paying that portion of mm-hmm. the premium even while somebody's out on leave. Mm-hmm. The tricky part can be that the employee is still responsible for their portion of that mm-hmm. premium, and now they're not getting a paycheck. Right. So right. that can be the that can be the challenging part. But an employer cannot force somebody out to take, um, like Cobra, for example, or mm-hmm. to find another source of health insurance if they've mm-hmm. contributed to that employee's plan. Previously. Okay. So whatever your coverage was under your employment. That's really your coverage needs to remain the same or can remain the same under under FMLA. So if your employer paid a portion and you you know you paid a portion each month, that that will continue even though you're not being paid for your 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 salary at that time. Absolutely, and that's one of the most important protections of the FMLA in mm-hmm. conjunction with the fact that it's job protected. That mm-hmm. people who are out on leave for a serious medical condition don't have to worry about their health insurance. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, you know, also, um, Monica, uh, you know, what you mentioned, I think is really important. Taking time off from work, you know, up to three months and not being paid. I mean, we certainly know that some cancer treatments can be very expensive. Um, uh, You know, obviously, that can be very taxing. Uh, on an individual from a practical standpoint, impacting the family um, and, you know, impacting you kind of emotionally and, 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 and psychologically. So what does that really mean for these individuals? And are there options out there for any financial support if that's the situation that you're in? Yeah, there certainly 
are some options because it, it can be incredibly scary to be forced into a situation where now you're not going to be earning an income for three months. I mean, most of us are not independently wealthy and can just go three months without any sort of paycheck. Um, so this is really where disability insurance comes into play. And there's a couple different kinds of disability insurance. Mm-hmm. So there's private disability insurance. And so sometimes employers will offer um, a disability insurance plan as part of those benefits, which, again, I know we sound like a broken record, but it's so important to look at that employee manual and know what your benefits are because you may have an option to sign up for disability insurance. Um, and then some, some insurances you can purchase directly through a company. So my favorite example of this type of insurance is Aflac. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think we've all seen the commercials with the stuff. That's a great <laughs> example. Exactly. <laughs> but that's a great example where this is money that people are going to be getting that is designed to replace the income that you would have gotten if you were working. Mm-hmm. Now, there are also um, a couple, a handful of states that have state disability insurance plans, and then there's two federal disability insurance plans, but those are really long-term disability plans, and that's it for individuals who are expected to be out of work for um, a year or longer because of their disability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So really, in the and short I- term, we're talking about... Um, you know, private disability insurance plans or state disability insurance plans. Yeah. And Rebecca, I know, uh, you know, obviously I'll mention, and maybe you can add as well, that, um, you know, there are lots of other types of assistance uh, out there for folks. I know, for example, uh, there are a number of private foundations that provide copay assistance uh, if uh, if your medications um, are of a significant cost and you have a big copay um, and you're struggling with the copay. I know that there are a number of foundations out there that provide copay assistance and there are other forms of assistance maybe in your county, in your community, in your state. I know there are some programs that help people pay their uh, heating bills. Um, you know, other uh, there are some uh, resources out there to help with the transportation to and from your uh, uh, treatment, Rebecca, but other resources for folks who really might be struggling? Absolutely. I mean, I think you've hit a key, several of the key ones. It's about doing some research, unfortunately, um, but also there are some programs that exist in a financial assistance kind of way for young adults who have survived cancer. Mm-hmm. So that's an area to look at where people are specifically focused on them because they've had less time to sort of create any any nest egg, if you will. Also, drug companies um, offer some options as well for covering some of the payments, and they have typically a hotline that you can call and and figure out if there's something there um, that you can make use of. And so it is a little bit, again, of this patchwork scenario that we find ourselves in um, when someone really needs to be out for an extended period of time, but there are great organizations trying to fill some of those gaps. Um, Mm -hmm. We certainly have uh, a lot of listings on our resource directory around that, and we have a cancer on a shoestring survival guide that focuses on some of these particular challenges. And I know we're probably out of just about out of time for this segment, but I would encourage, Monica, for you to talk about the intermittent leave component of the Family and Medical Leave Act. Because so I think you, you absolutely Yeah, let's take a mind. quick, we have and a quick minute, uh, just a quick minute to the break to do that. But yes, let's talk about that because I did get a question from somebody to say, is FMLA once in my lifetime, once with that employer? Once, how does that apply? Fantastic, and and you you read my mind, Rebecca, so thank you for that. Um, But, yeah, so when we talk about the FMLA, sometimes it's easier to talk about as a 12-week block, but 
FMLA can also be used intermittently. So for some people, it might be more about needing, let's say, every Friday off for uh, chemotherapy or um, maybe just to save days where they're not feeling well. And they're absolutely entitled to do that under the FMLA. And what you basically do is you add up all of that time until you hit the equivalent of 12 weeks of work. And you're entitled to 12 weeks of work, 12 weeks of leave, in a 12-month period. So, oh, so it's 12 weeks in every 12-month period. Correct. Now, wow. the employer, there's a couple of different ways to calculate that 12-month period, and it's up to the employer. So it could be a calendar year. It could be 12 months moving, you know, rolling forward from the date you first start FMLA leave. Mm-hmm. And so, again, look at your employer's yep. policy Annual. to find out mm-hmm. what their um, what their Great policy is. Great. Excellent. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about balancing employment with a cancer diagnosis. We have to take a quick break, but don't go away. We have a lot more great information to share. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. The episode today is being brought to you in part by McKesson's Giving Comfort Program, 
Bristol-Myers Squibb and Morphotech. I want to close out today's show uh, on employment and cancer by talking about available resources and really finding those resources and finding the social and, and, and emotional and community support that you may need kind of through and beyond uh, a cancer diagnosis. Um, Rebecca, let's start off this section uh, with you. Um, you know, just to highlight some of the most common concerns for people uh, you know, who are working through cancer or, or, you know, who are fully employed when diagnosed with cancer? What are some of the kind of top concerns that you hear? How can those be addressed? And, and tell us a little bit more about how cancer and careers is helping these folks. Absolutely. So I think, you know, we've covered in a, in a pretty great detail a couple of them deciding whether or not to tell and how much to tell and what the laws are. So after that, what we really hear a lot about are two things. One, being concerned that your cancer experience is going to hold you back professionally. And so many people see their identity wrapped up in their work. We live in a culture that is very driven by what you do says something about you. And so the fear that they will forever be seen as someone changed or diminished in some way and therefore not able to live up to the the goals and potential that they saw for themselves is a very real concern for people. And so helping them think about how to look at that, how to reframe the conversation at work, how to get people to focus on who they are as a, as a functioning professional member of a team, all of those things become very important. And then for those people, which goes back to the last segment, who did take a significant amount of time off from the workplace, um, how do you get back into the work world and how can we help support them in doing that? And so there are certainly a lot of information resources out in the space, places you can go to learn more about the law and health insurance, triage cancer's website and blog are key in kind of staying up to date on really up to the minute things that are happening. But in terms of direct programs around workplace issues, Cancer and Careers has been the only organization just focused on that since we Mm -hmm. started 13 years ago. And so what we've really tried to do is listen, listen to our constituents and our audience and develop programs that help meet their most pressing and changing needs. So we offer webinars and conferences and regional events and a resume review service that's free and you can submit your resume and it'll be reviewed by a professional career coach and you'll get advice about how to make it stronger for the kind of job you're looking for. We have toolkits around job search. Um, And so all of those things that help sort of translate the work world to the cancer world and the cancer world to the work world, we're sitting at that intersection and, and we're here with free programs and resources to kind of get people started and from wherever they are in this process, whether it's newly diagnosed or five years out and still experiencing side effects that are impacting their work. And how can folks find you, Rebecca? Uh, Our website is really a a great place to start. That's where you'll get access to all the live and virtual things. So that's cancerandcareers.org. Great. Cancerandcareers.org. So we uh, certainly encourage folks to uh, check out that website. Um, Monica, take a minute to tell us about uh, triage cancer, what kind of uh, resources are available uh, for folks and and how folks can find you. So, again, our website is the best place to access information. We have an entire um, section on our website dedicated to resources that are all free. People can go and download them. Um, And, again, we try to drill down on these things. So we have quick guides on all of the laws that I've talked about um, so ADA, FMLA, we have quite a bit of information about health care reform and the Affordable Care Act and health insurance because we know that's a hot topic issue for people and 
Um, losing health insurance is sometimes a major factor into people's decision about whether to continue working through treatment or not. Um, so I would definitely recommend people checking out the resources page. We have a blog where we try to stay up to date on all types of cancer survivorship issues, ranging from stress management to exercise to the issues we've been talking about today. And then we have, um, along with Cancer and Careers, done several programs, and you can find us pretty much all over the country. Um, and maybe you will, we will be in your neighborhood, and you can come see us live and in person. Great. Just a quick, uh, a, a quick additional question, um, Monica, as we sort of inch towards the end of the show here. But you mentioned the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known by some as Obamacare. Um, I imagine uh, that in your conversations and from your perspective that that was a bit of a game changer in terms of the employment issue because now folks obviously can get, you know, can buy health care in the marketplaces without having to be employed and, you know, we're sort of decoupling uh, that requirement of, of, uh, of health care being generally through, uh, through one's employer in some instances. So has that, you know, been a benefit particularly, and, and certainly people cannot be turned away because of a pre-existing condition like cancer. Has that been a game changer in terms of people getting the coverage um, that they need? And then certainly, um, obviously, we have open enrollment coming up uh, uh, in, in the fall for folks who want to shop for coverage through the exchanges. Can you just take a quick minute to comment on that, Monica? Absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It has been a complete game changer. And I'm the first person to say that this is not a perfect law and Mm -hmm. it could still use some fixing and some fine tuning in terms of implementation. But in terms of the big picture and particularly the two things that you mentioned in terms of decoupling health insurance from employment in some instances and ensuring that people will have access to purchase health insurance, even if they have a pre-existing condition like cancer, has really changed things for individuals who have a history um, of a cancer diagnosis. I mean, we used to spend hours trying to find solutions for people to get health insurance, and, you know, the only thing they quote-unquote did wrong was that they got diagnosed with cancer. So, you know, we've Mm -hmm. seen over 3 million young adults have access to health insurance because of provisions of the Affordable Care Act. Um, So really, again, it's not perfect. There are things we need to fix and improve, certainly. But big picture, it has been a huge benefit to the cancer community, in my opinion. And and Kim, I would also just love to say about that. It's changed sort of mobility options from an employment Mm -hmm. standpoint. So now we're in a world where someone who always wanted to be entrepreneurial but couldn't because they had a cancer history and needed a job that had health insurance can think about their life a little bit differently. So it's also game-changing in that sense. Like the work world is changing a little bit because of flexibility around that decoupling too. Yeah, I think those are all really good points and important for folks to know. And, you know, and again, I know that open enrollment uh, starts again this fall. So if folks are looking for coverage, keep an eye um, on those dates and those options for uh, uh, for enrolling through the exchanges for um, for coverage. I want to thank Kim, if, uh, if both of you. In, yes. Oh, sorry, I, I just want to throw in one small plug um, for people who have questions about the Affordable Care Act. Yes. Open enrollment is coming up. Cancer and Careers is actually hosting a call that I'll be speaking on and talking all about the Affordable Care Act next week. It's totally free to attend. 
So I would urge people to go look that up on their website or on ours, triagecancer.org or cancerandcareers.org to get more information. Great, great tip. Great tip. That's great information for folks to have. I appreciate that. And hopefully even beyond the, the, uh, the call, there'll be some information on the site and uh, available to, uh, to our listeners. So please check that out at Cancer and Careers and Triage Cancer. Uh, I want to thank Rebecca Nellis and Monica Bryan for joining us today. Really some great information that you guys have shared. Very valuable. I feel like we could talk for another hour, two hours, three hours. <laughs> Uh, on this stuff. It's so um, important for folks to know and understand this information. Um, if you have an idea for an episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, uh, certainly send us any topics that are of interest to you. Send us your ideas at news at cancersupportcommunity.org. And I just want to remind you, we provide a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support for people with all cancers, all diagnoses, any stage of disease, and we have wonderful support services for your family members, caregivers, and loved ones, too. So uh, check out our website, cancersupportcommunity.org, to find a list of our wonderful 50 uh, centers around the country where we provide free support and, and education and a lot of great programming happening at those centers or If you want to speak to someone on our helpline, a trained licensed mental health professional, give us a call at 888-793-9355. Again, that's 888-793-9355. Or visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.